Welcome to the Caged Vision Show, where each week we talk about one thing, putting your vision to work. So whether you're the CEO of a large company, maybe an executive within a large company, maybe you're a small company, maybe you are an entrepreneur that is just getting started. Each of you has a vision for where you want to go in the future, and we talk about how to get there, how to put that vision to work. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Caged Vision Podcast with Carrie Rome and Lisa Beck Shuck. Lisa Beck Shuck. I'm not going to be Beck Shuck. You're just going to have to get. I'll go with Lisa Beck. Okay, will you go? We're having fun with this. I just don't want to be Beck Shuck. Well, you are. All right, but I have a unless you drop Beck, which I wasn't going to add Shuck. Um, Hello, you did. No, yeah. I mean, I was going to add it personally. Okay, so for those of you who have not um, heard any of this drama. It, you are the one making this a drama. Maybe a little bit. Anyway, we're having fun with it because Lisa got married recently. And she her, her new last name is Chuck. But she goes with this hogwash that's professionally I'm going to be known as Lisa Beck. It's like she's a Hollywood star and she doesn't want to change her name. I'm like, that is such crud. We're, we're, that's ridiculous. So I, I continue to um, fight that. Yes, you do. Professionally. In everything that we do, we're doing, we're introducing the Lisa Beck Shuck. Or I like Beck, Beck Shuck as your stage name. Oh my gosh. Beck Shuck. Beck Shuck. Well, like you said on Friday Fun Fact, it almost sounds like a professional wrestler's name. I am not, like, that's just not me. No, I said if you got introduced as a wrestler, it would be Beck Shuck. They would carry out the Shuck. They would really, like, elongate the Shuck part because it would be kind of cool. And that makes if, it okay. Yeah. I mean, you could, you know. Okay, yeah. if you changed your name yeah. at this advanced chronological age point in yeah. your life, yeah. Don't you think that that would be a little odd or or difficult well, it for would you for to me. do? It would be for me because so, traditional male role would be like, why are you changing well, your name? Why like, is it so... Uh, what's Boy George or something? Why is it so different for me? Because you I, got married and you took his last name. That's why. Oh I mean, why is this so complicated? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go, you know, I... I I am not a feminist or, or any way, shape, or form. And I am very traditional in that I am taking his last name. But I don't know if, if professionally that if professionally doesn't cause more you. confusion. You know what my question is for you, Lisa uh, Backchuck? Why are you so fearful? Oh, nice. How about segue? That? How about that? Wow, that's that was actually, awesome. That's actually the purpose of today's podcast we're talking about why are you so scared why are you so fearful to engage in strategy lisa's strategy is the rest of her life with her last name and, and <laughs> <laughs> or whatever anyway we have some really good takeaways today because um, what we find in our work is that there's a disconnect and there is a disconnect between the ceo or the executive team and how they over-intellectualize strategy, and they feel like it's well-communicated, and then a team, one or two or three levels below that, that is completely unengaged. They don't even know what they're talking about. Not that they don't know what to talk about, but they're talking, they don't know how to engage in strategy. 
And so there's this, there's sort of a fear on two angles. Why are you so, if you're the CEO, why are you afraid of breaking strategy down to a level that is uh, more contextual to someone three levels down when really that's what they need? It doesn't mean that your strategy is simple. It means that you made it contextual. On the other hand, if you're three levels down, why are you afraid to engage in strategy? I love this. And I, I'm going to start with the CEO level first okay. because um, I believe you interviewed a CEO. And mm -hmm. one of the things that he said, which I think illustrates this point, is that he couldn't understand why he couldn't communicate his strategy because it was so clear in his own head. So clear. And it was something that he'd been thinking about for 12 or 18 months. And so he felt like he had it, that he visualized it and he had it all clear in his head, but yet no one else understood. Like it went so far that he had to hire someone to help communicate his vision. Yes, because I think what he said was, I had worked through it and I had solved, I had wrestled with it and solved it. Because if, as a CEO, you feel like you need to you need to solve it first before you communicate it to your team. When we're going to argue that that may not be the best approach. So if you wrestle with it and you solve it, and then because it's so solved and packaged up inside of your head, and then you just deliver it, your team doesn't, they have not been on that journey. They haven't been on the journey. They haven't bought in. They don't understand so, uh, you know, a different approach would be to throw out your vision, your strat strategic vision, but then ask questions and have everybody ask questions. I mean, this is not just a you ask them questions, but it would be great if three levels down could, could ask questions back to you so that that strategy could be clarified and become part of the fabric of the organization. Yeah, what Lisa just said is tip number one, which is, or takeaway number one, which is compose strategic questions. And that is challenging as a leader because the strategic questions that you ask of your executive team are very, very different from the strategic questions that you'll ask from that executive's team and then that VP's team. And that is where the context comes from. And so when you ask these questions, you have to think about how you're, how am I creating alignment through at, at a high level? I want to make sure that my team understands that we're not saying anything different. We're saying the same thing, but then I also have to compose strategic questions at the appropriate level to make it contextual. That is a challenge. No, it's a challenge that I don't know that, I mean, I think a CEO is going to need help to do that. I don't know that a CEO can do that on his own. Carrie's pointing to himself, and I would agree wholeheartedly with That's a this. little work that we do. A little work. Yeah. Um, and if you do that, though, all of a sudden you have a team that's engaged. Oh, my gosh. Because I mean, they are part of the process. You know, Lisa, you just hit on a, something that's really so important because it's like a dysfunctional family when the CEO is saying, I don't get it. I've got it out of my head and I communicated it, and, but my team's not engaged. But if you don't make a contact, if you don't do takeaway number one, 
then they don't feel engaged, which means they don't feel heard, which means they don't participate. Why would you? Why would you ever? I mean, how many times have you just continued to participate in something where you did not feel heard other than this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Total joke. Yeah, you, you get disheartened because if they already have all the answers, why why do they need you? Why do you need me? Yeah, I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. And I think that goes back to point to, not point, takeaway number one, which is if you've wrestled with this and you've come up with all the answers for your team, I think another CEO that I interviewed said, uh, you don't have to hire smart people if you're going to tell them exactly what you need them to do. So if you've laid out the exact path that is that all you need is people just to go and execute and you're not going to listen to anybody and you believe that your plan is 100% going to work and you don't need any feedback, but go for it. Just that's, that doesn't happen very successfully very often. No, nor will you be successful in your organization. No. Yeah. So we, did we have for the takeaway number one, we had a, um, we had an example, didn't we? Yeah. I'm talking about the staffing model. Yeah, so I was working with a client, and they had this overall growth strategy that we're implementing. Um, now, they have 13 different locations, and as we start to execute that plan, you know, we're talking about um, raising money, raising money to uh, implement this growth initiative, and we've got to build out this team. Well, as they have grown, they have, uh, they have sort of grown in silos, and so as you break down growth and you break down the operational executive that's going to own the different components of, the, of growth, one of the aspects that fell on the shoulders of the COO is HR. One of the things as it relates to HR is that, hey, we need to standardize our staffing model and develop a standardized staffing model because across our 13 different locations, we don't call people the same thing. And so therefore, we can't analyze headcount based on revenue, because we're not looking at the same thing. So something so simple as we need to know, we need to have the same job description and title for the same people. But if you say to that person over HR that's going to run with that, hey, we have a growth initiative to, um, to standardize our operational model, and it's not broken down to what you need that person to do and put in context, they don't understand. Why would they? You just have to map it down, and how, and all that is is to the CEO, how am I going to do this? And then you map it to the HR person, how am I going to do this? And one of the aspects of how I'm going to do it is doing, delivering this uh, standardized staffing model. Which seems so simple when you think about it. It seems simple, but when you – I think a lot of challenges happen, and I had another CEO that I interviewed um, said that um, – don't focus too much on the how when you're developing where you want to go. You just put it in like just like when you plug in uh, where you're going into your GPS. You don't once it's plugged into the GPS, you say, I want to go here. You don't worry about the road, the specific road it's going to take you on, but you trust that you're going to get there. And it's going to adjust based on the different different um, you know signals that it gets along the way 
Just an aside, I'm really glad that we currently have GPS. Oh, my gosh. Can we talk about that for a second? when I, and in fact, I can remember taking trips with the children before we had iPhones and GPS and getting the map out and having a child read the map incorrectly and then we go off on an adventure yeah now part of me is like okay that was fun yeah and part of me is like i think everyone should know how to read a map which i think is a skill that we are losing because who needs to read a map because google will just tell you well let's let's let's, i mean one of the biggest problems with maps if we're being honest with each other is folding it once you've taken it apart (laughs) i mean it's not the map that's why people stop reading maps is because it was it it's never, too hard to fold. It's too hard to fold it. You know who tried to solve that, and, and I don't know that necessarily um, fixed the problem. Did you? Have, my my parents used to get trip tickets from AAA. My dad would, hey, we need to get a trip ticket. We're going to take a trip, <laughs> and it would be this flip thing. <laughs> no way. And it would highlight as you go, and it would circle the exits, and you would tell them where you want to go and where you want to stop. And I remember those arguments between my mom and my dad in the because no my mom was way. trying to read the trip ticket. Yeah. So funny. That is hilarious. Well, see, my mom is directionally challenged. Yes. And so she wasn't allowed to read the map because then arguments would ensue. Well, I mean, yeah, it kind of does. Which is funny because now my dad doesn't drive, and so my mom drives everywhere, and he wants to tell her where she should be going yeah and she's like no google will tell me and yeah. so but he's like google doesn't know right so and now, so now we listen to all google. sorts of problems now we listen to google and or ways and we get in the car with strangers yes yeah things yeah have changed there a you bit. go things have changed yeah, yeah. yeah. All, right, all right take away move, take away number one on getting back to fear yes takeaway number two lisa backshuck get- Get them to a place of self-discovery. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this. Yeah. I mean, we really, we talked about um, doing that and getting it. When you, when you make, when you compose strategic questions at their level, holy Christmas, you've got them right there. You've got them perfectly set up for that self-discovery phase. Yes. If you don't give them the plan and you ask them questions, it helps them think through assumptions. Oh, and my they, God. Wait, wait. Hold on. You have to ask them to make assumptions first. You said that way too fast because oh. it was critically important. Don't give them the plan. Help them think through assumptions. But they have to come up with assumptions first, which I think is part of the battle because I think that – if you're a CEO that's always just handed down your strategy, if all of a sudden you go, hey, we're going to do this together and start asking them questions and having them think through what a plan looks like, it's going to be a challenge. Well, you know, first. I think what we're hitting on is that um, the work of strategy is an ongoing effort. It's not something that you can over-engineer and over-architect and then say, here you go. We'll talk to you next January. It's not. At least not the way that we do it. And, and, it, and it's more engaging. And when you engage more, you get your team engaged. And you get them at that point of self-discovery. And what you'll find is they bring things to you that you would have never known 
Had you not asked that question, all you did was ask questions. That's a good spot to be in. I like this spot, and I have an example on this. So one of my branch managers who works in a disadvantaged county, which means that everybody, the entire county is low to moderate income. And she raised the question to me of, I really wish that we could help these people more, but we can't because of our the way our loan products are structured. And so I said, I just started asking her questions. Tell me about that. Um, what would that look like to you? Um, what data do you have to support this information? And through that conversation, I said, why don't you put something together that you believe fits at this, that's a solution for this? And she did. And I said, okay. Let's talk through the assumptions you're making on this data and more questions. And it's she's refining it as she goes along because we continue to ask questions and we continue to look at her assumptions and go, what if this happened or what if that happened and how do we solve for that and what does this look like to you? And it's amazing watching her energy and her excitement as she's putting this together. I love that example. Think about what we could do if we could engage everybody like that. Well, and, and you are engaging someone who is closest to the customer saying, what do you think the customer needs? Exactly. I mean, I mean, we shouldn't have to talk about this on a podcast. It would seem like it's so natural to do. It's just so hard as organizations grow, they get more complex, and it's just disconnected. Because everybody just keeps on doing what they've always done because it's safe. Oh, which tied in. Per- Did you do that on purpose? No, but maybe. But just own it. Just say, yeah. Yeah, I did. They don't know any different. Yeah, they did. Yeah. All right. So, Lisa Beck, Chuck. Oh, I tripped up on that one. Nice. Lisa Beck, Chuck. Tie us into the third takeaway. Okay. Well, this one really gets my ire up, and Carrie knows this. You're what up? Ire. Ire. Yeah. Okay. I've never heard of that. Remove fear and anxiety. All right. Y'all. I have to tell you, this one drives me crazy. It really does. So we're talking about removing fear and anxiety. Yeah, but it just irks me that we have so much fear and anxiety. And I know, I know, I know you're going to give me the lecture about how this is who they are and what they do. And we're changing the plan on them. Go ahead. Give me the lecture. I'm not going to give you a lecture. I I mean. It just, it irks me. Y'all quit being afraid. Let's. Uh, you said that so country. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all quit being afraid. <laughs> now, I, you know, I think what it is is uh, when the, where, where you're probably saying you were thinking that I was going to go down this path of lecture, which is you hire people. Is that what you're you hire people yes. to think in a linear fashion yes. to, to yes. execute a process? You hire people to do things that you've told them they need to do well. And and the reason you hired them is because you believe they can do it well. And then you're telling them to do something different. And there's probably natural fear and anxiety around that. I mean, that is not... Did you go... It's natural. Back in the day it's before the government outruled you know, high diving boards, did you ever jump off a high diving board? Yes. Were you scared the first time? To death. Okay. How's it any different? Other than it's a high diving board. It has nothing to do with this podcast. 
Okay, I thought it would work. Maybe it didn't. Anyway, my point is that. All right, they have fear. <clears throat> yeah. But, you know, what's the acronym? Fear, false evidence appearing real. Yeah. You know, you don't know. And I guess part of that then means we haven't, we as team leads or CEOs haven't created a safe enough space. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm well, going to. If you follow steps uh, one, one two, and two, you will then, get there. Yeah. So the, the the takeaway here is to get it down to a small enough level where when you start to ask those engaging questions, when you start to gather the assumptions, and you're not leaving them on their own. When you start to do this, what you've really done is you've reduced the anxiety and you've redu- reduced the fear because the challenge doesn't seem so big. But you didn't just do that for your team member. You did that for the entire organization. So if you think about the lower, the smaller you make it, the more you iterate, the easier it is for you to then make slight adjustments along the way without your team knowing that it was even an adjustment. Excellent point. And, and an, then that leads to the next step, right? Which when is? You, when you make an adjustment and you go back to asking questions and then you hit that first step, it leads to the next step. And you get momentum. Just, yeah. And you know what another CEO said? Um, when you do this, when you get them to a point of self-discovery and then they see the first step, that's kindling for your strategy. Oh, I, I like oh that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that my gosh. So good. That's fabulous. So good. But it is. It's the momentum. That's the fuel that you need. But – Think how small that first little thing to get a fire going is. It's so tiny, so small. And then you have to take care of it, and you have to blow on it, and yeah, then it grows, yeah, yeah, and it builds, yeah, and then yeah. you have a roaring fire. Oh, what a fabulous like analogy. that one. Like that one. Well done. Listen, we hope that this podcast has been helpful to you, for you and your team. If we can help in any way, please reach out. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.